Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I am your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, we explore, we describe, we celebrate the principles and practices, concepts and tools, methods and strategies, people and results of workplace visuality the technologies of the visual workplace, and how they help us to let the workplace speak, to achieve informational transparency, and a huge reduction in missing information, missing answers, information deficits. Through the footprint of the enemy, motion, motion, moving without working. We keep track of the struggle, and when we chase down that struggle, we see 99.99% of the time that the culprit is indeed missing information. And when we start filling in those blanks, putting information in in the form of visual devices into those places where there used to be missing information, suddenly the workplace begins to flow. Suddenly, the culture begins to align. Employees begin to participate. They are participating in recreating their workplace by making it speak on all levels of the enterprise, not just value at associates, but everyone, you too. (laughs) So welcome, welcome. Drop us an email if you want uh, to ask a question, send a photo, paint a scenario, tell us to talk about, drop an email to us at radio at visualworkplace.com. That is the purpose of that email address. It is dedicated to you. And visit our website at visualworkplace.com. You'll find lots of free information there, plus these podcasts and lots of other stuff, lots of our products, lots and lots. So we are in the midst of my series on visual leadership. I think we're more than halfway done. Last time we met, I walked you through the, um, or it might have been the time before that, I walked you through where the series had brought us through now. And we are currently on the executive side of the equation of leadership versus the managerial or supervisory side. We're on the executive side the folks who define and publish the corporate intent as compared to the supervisory manager side, the folks who are responsible for operationalizing the corporate intent. So we're on the executive side and we are walking through the tools that allow the executive to let his or her workplace speak the tools that capture vital information. If you remember, our definition of a visual workplace is a work environment that is self-ordering, self-explaining, and because it's self-explaining, it's self-regulating. So self-ordering, self-explaining, self-regulating, and self-improving, where what is supposed to happen does happen, on time, every time, day or night, because of visual devices. That applies vividly in our imagination to operators. Maybe we can even see it for material handling and the movement of material through the plant or through the hospital, through visual pull systems. Maybe we can even imagine it related, if you're machine-based, to machinery, letting the machine speak. And related to quality, when we put pokey oak systems in place or lower levels of quality devices, such as perhaps color coding to prevent mix-ups or to make the match. 
So we always think about those kinds of devices, probably, I'm guessing, when you hear the definition of a visual workplace where what is supposed to happen should does happen on time, every time, day or night, because of visual devices. But in this series, I'm inviting you to imagine that definition against the backdrop of the work of the executive. Vital information related to her workplace, his work environment as leader. Mm-hmm. And so we're going through those visual tools We've done the OSIT. Oh, my God, I've said it again. The Operation System Improvement Template, which allows the leader to define, to name the horizon, to name it in terms of, I want, I want this for my company, allows the leader to develop a profile, a shorthand profile of the major um, uh, characteristics of her company. The customer, vision, mission, values and beliefs, strategy, macro macro metric, pardon me, macro metric, strategic principles, tactical systems, and in the process of OSET, gauging the strength of each of those tactical systems that support strategic outcomes, and then the methods that are currently available within your company to improve those tactical systems by engaging the strategy and supporting the vision, the mission, the vision, and therefore the customer. That's the OSIT. Very, very important tool, well worth your consideration. I actually have not read or seen anyone talk about it knowingly and in practical terms and in robust terms. Usually, folks just simply present the House of Toyota as the template of um, houses, and I think that it is inadequate, as we've often discussed. It's not inadequate to Toyota. Toyota understands it very well, and much of what makes that house go is unspoken, undefined, unseen. It is the go in Toyota, and it is not published. So you look at that house with its lovely canopy, its roof, and its strong pillars, and its stairway, and look at the architecture and you say, aha, I have the secret formula. And you try to make that thing go. Good luck, Charlie. You can't make that thing go. It doesn't go by itself. The secret ingredients are still secret. Why on earth would Toyota share that with us? Hmm? The mothership would not share its engine Because if you take the architecture of the Toyota house away, what you have is what we often find in uh, in the use of these houses, which is simply a list. It's either duplicating what Toyota has or it has some slight difference. It's a list of words without meaning and without, as I've mentioned a few shows back, without valence, without focus without pace, without destination, all of these very important parts. So that's the first tool, the OSIT. And you can listen to the, I think I've done two shows on that so far. You can listen to that and it will help you. And then I've moved to the X-Type. Last week's show gave you the broad strokes. This week I kind of want to finish that up and I think we'll have time to uh, look at the war room as well, which is the third tool in the executive leadership toolbox. This show I call the big squeeze, the X-type matrix, building the case for leadership, the hungry kind. I really like those words going together, the big squeeze, building the case for leadership, the hungry time. We're talking the the hungry kind. We're talking about the X-type matrix. So 
I, I'm thinking that one of the better ways to talk about the X-type matrix in terms of adding to last week is, well, I do want to talk about the power of limits, the power of limits, the actual architecture. And I'm going to give you a little bit, a little um, primer on the architecture related to geometry so that when you look at the X-type matrix, which is your annual plan on a single page, you'll understand that the limits that you find in there are quite intentional and quite important. And I'm going to refer to the work, <laughs> this is a Hungarian name, of George Dose. And it's got a lot of umlauts on it and strange sequences of consonants that somehow or other make a sound. But it's spelled G-Y-O with an umlaut, R-G-Y, and umlaut are those two little dots. It, you do, do something very strange with your throat and your tongue, and you'll get the right sound. G-Y-O-R-G-Y, so it's George. Dose, which is D as in David, O-C-S-I. It's a book that I ran across at least 25 years ago, and I was so blown away by it. It's called The Power of Limits. And it, its subtitle is Proportional Harmonies in Nature, Art, and Architecture. And one of the premises, I'll, I'll just read from the intro, so you get a sense of this connection that I'm making. So I'm, I'm pulling into a kind of geometric metaphysical realm and bringing it into the world of work, the world of hardcore manufacturing, serious and robust healthcare services, um, strong office function, the world of work. And what Jorge Dulce Dulce says is one of the delights of life is the discovery and rediscovery of patterns of order. One of my favorite topics, patterns. One of the delights of life is the discovery and rediscovery of patterns of order, designs revealed by slicing through a head of lettuce or an orange, the forms of shells and of butterfly wings. These images are awesome, not just for their beauty alone, but because they suggest an order underlying their growth, a harmony existing in nature. What does it mean that such an order exists, and how far does it extend? These are his words. And, you know, this was like a bingo moment for me. It was like, yes, of course, finally words to describe what I experienced, most especially with the X-type matrix and with the world of visuality. That visuality appeals to the eye. It feeds the eye. And in so doing, it is feeding the brain. The eye is simply an intermediary, but the, bra- the brain wants to know. The mind, the mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. You've heard me say it many times. 50% of our brain function, your brain function and mine, is dedicated to finding and interpreting visual data. We make sense out of what the eye sees. We force it. If there is not a clear, vibrant pattern, we will find it anyway. We will find that pattern. It's called invention. It's called the inventive mind. The mind will look and it will find commonalities and link them together and make sense out of what may indeed be nonsensical nonsensical because it actually is or nonsensical because science simply hasn't discovered it yet and hasn't named it yet. Much as the scientific 
discoveries of the last 200 years have been. And we see this emerging patterns of order. We see these proportions. We see this joining of diversity that creates unity. And it is revealed in the structure of the form, what Dulce calls the strictness of its form. Let me read this other wonderful piece. This is a marvelous book. It's beautiful to look at. I believe it is still in print. It has the golden mean triangle, the golden mean spiral, I beg your pardon, on the cover and some other delicious um, associations. So he goes on to say, these proportions occur over and over again in all these forms, in how things grow and how things are made, and they are made by the dynamic union of opposites. The joining of unity and diversity in the discipline of proportional limitations creates forms that are beautiful to us because they embody the principles of the cosmic order of which we are a part. Conversely, the limitlessness, the limitlessness of that order is revealed by the strictness of its forms. Why on earth am I, a practitioner of factories, uh, an improvement practitioner in all workplaces, uh, a very, very knowledgeable and experienced person in the world of workplace visuality, why am I bringing this to you? Because for me, when I look at the X-type, it speaks to me of that balance, of the power of limits and the function of structure in helping us use the X-type correctly and get mileage out of it, a lot of mileage. Visual leadership includes a powerful array of visual formats that define and transform because of the limitations that these formats impose, the OSIT, the X-type, some forms of problem solving, the forms that I like. Because of the limitations these formats impose, they're two-dimensional, they teach Leaders and leaders in the making, how to identify, clarify, and target key priorities, how to link them to meaningful actions, projects, and how to drive those projects towards aligned metrics, not KPIs. And as leaders learn and use these constructs, their focus shifts from just getting through the day to targeting, aligning, driving, and sustaining stability and leveraging those into growth. They develop a new set of skills and a compelling dynamic need to lead because they can lead. They become leaders of improvement. And this is one of the main points I want to make, that these formats quite miraculously, but by design, help us to become leaders. They help us to do this thing that you've heard me say uh, probably a hundred times by now. How to say yes to the few and wait to the many. How to say yes to the few and wait to the many. And know why. And know why. I have been promoting to you, and I hope you've heard the subtext, you executives and you leaders out there, the idea that leading itself is its own pleasure, that leading itself is a process of discovery and a process of command. Leading itself is an analysis of the current situation and then design decisions about how to move forward. It pulls from us not only a mindfulness and a smartness and an intelligence, but also an intuition or a sense of direction that may have to be weighed, that we may have to wait to validate, but is nevertheless insistent, important. Hmm? I want 
you know, I'm writing a book on this now. I've told you it'll be a while. I've got so many projects at my desk now that are very near term and very, very labor intensive. Oh, yay, yay. But, you know, that's that's the scat part of my wonderful work. I have to do these projects in order to be able to write the book that I've been trying to, wanting to write for the last two years. But it's okay because as I, as I wait, I understand more. I have more opportunities to apply and to, um, to shape and to understand. I'll do a better book, I'm sure, because of it. Hmm. Long preface, now I've lost my way. So what I'm promoting to you is that leadership itself is not, is not given to us because of our position. It is shaped and fashioned by us because of our insistence to learn how to lead, that we recognize that as not just a voice in the front of the line, but a direction and a command a compelling reason to move in this direction versus that direction. And I would say a second part of that, or a third, is to then bring others into that understanding so that they then become leaders as well. Again, a repeat, I've often said to you, I think that the best OPEX, OPEX slogan for your operational excellence journey or your office and your director and her direct reports. For me, the most comprehensive way to say that and the way we're doing it currently with some of my clients now is to say, OPEX, OPEX, yes, we have a mission. It's called We Grow Leaders. We Grow Leaders because that moves up and down the organizational functions perfectly Every leader does not have to be at the front of the parade. But they do need to know what is the destination and what is their part in getting there. This works perfectly well for operators, beautifully well. As you know, my model is eye-driven, so we're already focused on bringing the full resources of every operator to that operator for him or her to enjoy and to use, to explore and discover, to be a part of their own life in a very full way. So the X-type matrix, let me just kind of move into that. The X-type matrix is a very tight little format. There's an X in the middle, kind of walked you through it the other day, and you send us an email to radio at visualworkplace.com and we will send you a blank format and a populated format. But you can also just go online and go into Google and look X-Type and you'll have hundreds. You'll also have a lot of bad instruction, but I'll take that chance. (laughs) Don't listen. Don't read about it. Avert your eyes. I know the way. The big squeeze about the X-type matrix is, in fact, it is a structure. And even though it's two-dimensional, it appears to be as unimportant as a piece of paper. If you look at it and you pay attention to the form that you see on the page, you will see that it requires of you. It requires you to pay attention to it. The unspoken message is, do not dare to turn me into a list. I am not a list of goals. I am not a list of projects. I am not a list of targets. And I am not a list of money made, money saved. I am a nexus. I am a structure that holds those things, but only because you can track and demonstrate the link between them and only because on me the matrix there is also a dimension a section for identifying the resources that are required the people resources and those people resources will talk about time resources so this is a linked structure that has six main 
components all tied together through this grid. And that is your goals and goals and objectives and then the projects that will support the outcomes of that goal and then designating the amount of improvement up or down, less of this, more of that, for each of those projects and then for you to accumulate, combine the impact by money made or money saved in the fourth quadrant, that's your A, B, C, D. Quadrant E is the resources, the people who will be leading those projects. Not just the departments, but the names of the people. And as you as the executive map all of this out, you're going to have to then go to these people and say, hey, look, I got your name down here. Would you please sign? (laughs) Would you just autograph this X-type so that I know and you know and everyone knows that you're okay with this. And then the leader will say, you know, I'm in support of it, but I can't do it. I can give you my direct report or I can give you three steps down, but not me. Unless you take some of the projects away from me, boss, I'm covered. The X-type matrix in my book is an improvement mechanism. But improvement is only part of what you do every year. The other part is maintenance. Improvement may be indeed for you stabilizing, but in many companies, the enough stability is there and needs to be maintained. And then the rest, if you will, the excess is used for designated improvement. (sighs) I'm ready to be a CEO. I just know how to do this stuff. (laughs) I just don't want, I don't want all the company. I like to do these things and go home and stare at a wall, not have it come to me and and visit me while I'm staring at my wall. (laughs) Running a company and helping a company are really widely different. So you can do two X types, one on maintenance and in other words, keeping the stability that you have, keeping the base that you have, and another one on improvement. I advise this. I advise this in two ways. One, I advise the separation, but I advise the separation and the long look at both because they're both going to be consuming resources. So one of the quadrants, it's quadrant, and excuse me, not the quadrants but the dimension sections is the E section is how you're going to populate and support those teams who are going to go after that those projects and then the fifth uh, sorry the sixth quadrant F is your toolbox what competencies do you currently have on site to support those kinds of projects and achieve those kinds of targets If you don't have the competency, then you're lacking that resource. So maybe you're going to spend the first six months getting the competencies and piloting it, piloting the new methodology and seeing how far it gets you. But you can't skip that step. You can't pretend that you know how to do problem solving if you're still using the five whys as your driver. It's laughable. Or even the four Ds. If that is your status, then you're going to need to have a tool that addresses complex, chronic, costly problems, because that's really what your X-type is about at the beginning. It's going to be a long time before you're smooth enough to trot out the five whys again, a long time. If you don't have competency in complex problem solving, and I'm not talking about design of experiments or even Six Sigma, I think those are very specialized tools and therefore limited, then you're going to have to get ready for that. It's not good enough for you to put it down on paper if it isn't real. So this look at the competency of your organization is part of the big squeeze. It squeezes you and you can't fudge it. So 
this was I mentioned this the last time, but I, I want to introduce it here so that it's easily at at your memory fingertips. When you build the case for leadership, the hungry kind, the barracuda kind, where you are always hungry for lunch on the inside and your nicest pie is there on the outside, always hungry for lunch on the inside of you, volcanic, burning, yearning, and on the outside, Mr. Smooth, Miss Smooth, Miss Diplomat, Miss Savvy. Then the X-type matrix is going to help you tremendously. There are three assumptions. Number one, this whole series has been about number one, leaders are substantially different. Executives are substantially different than managers. Leading and managing is not the same thing, and thank goodness for that. Leaders need structure. They need architecture in order to effectively respond to the core dilemma of their role. This is especially executive leaders saying yes to the few and wait to the many. Think about it. And number three, the purpose of structure is to squeeze out the non-important so that only the most important or the important remains. Structure does that. The X-type does that. It's like the bento box, as you remember me saying. This is the decision-making format for leaders as they begin to work on their X-type matrix. Right? So the bento box is a network of boundaries, just like the X-type. A network of boundaries that interconnect every element. The purpose of the bento box is to provide a nourishing, well-balanced meal that is compactly presented, sometimes beautifully, I find them beautiful, and portable. You can take it with you. Similarly, the X-type is to provide a structure, a box, a visual structure that helps you, the executive leader, design a blueprint that ensures the stability and nourishment and growth of your company over the course of a year. And if you want to, you can just do it for a quarter. If a year is too much of a stretch, there's too many unknowns, do it for a quarter and map out the resources that are required to get you through that. Just make your project smaller. Say, you know, I want there to be a a, a 37% increase, but let's just take 8% for the first quarter while we learn how to do it. The structure of both the bento box and the X-type matrix dictates the outcome. The structure requires you to think. Actually, the bento box makes thinking quite automatically and automatic, and you can simply enjoy your meal. But the structure dictates the outcome, the fulfillment of the purpose. In the X-type matrix, we see the dilemma that is faced by the executive plant manager to GM to VP, president of the world. We see that in the physical constraints, and the physical constraints of the matrix prevent us from turning the matrix into a wish list, into a list. The geography of the form is sparse and strict, so we must be sparse and strict, shrewd, careful in our commitments, our pledges to excellence. Because the format requires us to resource that, not just want it. And we commit it all on a piece of paper. The limitations is in the format. You've got plenty of paper. This is the power of limits. And I have always considered the X-type matrix not just as a testing ground for sound leadership, but as a training ground for Leaders in the Making, as a training ground. And you know what? So many people give up on the X-type far too quickly 
And it's because they miss the matrix's beating heart. The beating, can you hear that? The beating heart is you. You have to get involved in the matrix. And then the matrix, like any good teacher, once they see, once the teacher sees that you're willing to learn, will teach you. It's not just another form of managing. This is the antidote to the tribal think. When you work on this elegant design of the matrix, the matrix will give you important outputs, but also infuse you with vision. Don't confuse managing with leading. We're in a completely different universe. They need each other, but they're not the same thing. They have a role to play, but sequence matters. Okay, sequence matters. I can go in a a lot of different directions here, and I think I want to say that especially executives need a way need mechanisms that will enable them to jump from managing to authentic leadership. Okay. And I want to talk a little bit more about about the Toyota house just for a moment so you get it. So visuality is part and parcel of the Toyota way, like the TPS house or temple. A great deal is hidden in plain sight. They, Toyota uses architecture. This comes very, very naturally to the Japanese, as we discussed already. The uh, constraints of living in an island nation, the constraints of simply fitting a dynamic people into, uh, into a community of effort, into work and into society, those limits are very, those limits are very, very uh, important. So, models of this kind are physical formulations of intent, and they demonstrate the power of sharing ideas both through structure and as structure, meaning the format, the X, the grid lines the limitations that you see in ink on the page. These limitations point the way to a future that is not yet here, but it is also not far away. It is a future that the leader will create using a template as the first part of that journey and will create together as with others as soon as this leader, him or her, learns how to use that structure. The big, big mistake is to assume that having such a template automatically turns the individual components of your operational vision into a system it does not. Right? The house of Toyota just shows you an array. It doesn't show you a hierarchy. It doesn't show you how to achieve them. It lacks a driving mechanism. There's nothing about it that's dynamic. It's a kind of snapshot, but without a pathway that shows you how to reach that horizon. Please take a jaundiced eye to the Toyota house. Pick it apart. Don't absorb it. The how is mission critical. Few of the world's top-ranking companies ever share the telling detail of how. In the language of Star Wars, Darth Vader never shared the secret blueprint of the Death Star. He knew we were looking for it, and he kept it to himself. When we don't realize there is a secret, we don't ask to know it. But there is a secret in the house of Toyota. The how dimension of this TPS house is unseen, hidden hidden by design, like the mainspring in an heirloom Swiss Swiss watch. It can't be seen on the outside, but it makes the whole model work, 
makes the whole watch work. Okay? So, instead of tacking a poster on the wall with the house of Toyota and watching the edges turn yellow, deconstruct it and ask how to make it go. Don't get seduced by a pretty poster. That might have helped us if we had only asked it to. No, don't do that. The X-type matrix shares the core visual characteristics of the OSIT template. It has visible structure and therefore limits. That's the big squeeze. It shows relationship. It forces sequencing that drives thinking and connectivity. This architectural structure is powerful. The structure is its command. I'd like to repeat that. The structure of the X-type is its command. I like to see the X-type be the immediate next step after OSID. In my model, in my process, in my teaching, the X-type is how we operationalize the so-called temple. That is its purpose, to translate and align your company's vision, mission, strategy into actionable cross-functional plans that you can afford your annual plan on a single page. Bold X in the middle, lockstep grids that connect goals to actions, go around it, A, B, C, D. The X-type matrix is the supreme vehicle for aligning and driving the enterprise to its improvement future. Look closer still, and you'll see that the matrix is mighty in its reverse for what it prevents. Hard as you may try, you cannot fit into it every favorite thing that you as executive dream about accomplishing in why not the next 12 months. It will not allow you to be greedy. It wants you to be sparse and effective, even if you decide to make the font smaller and expand the format size. I've seen them sometimes two by three feet. You will still not be able to fit everything. It's the very boundedness of the format that enforces the discipline. The discipline, I like to say, of market leaders. Once a goal enters the X, the X of the architecture, it then connects with projects, targeted measures, outcomes, resources, the toolkit. Not just one of them or three of them, but all of them. In other words, it is all connected. The limits are built in, but so is the connectivity. And these elements inform and instruct and require of each other. They do not give up and allow. They do not concede. You have to fit into the matrix and not the other way around. The X-type doesn't give an inch. You learn or the tool stops helping you. And then you set it aside, blaming the tool when in fact the tool went into a whole state until you learned the lesson it was designated to teach. You will fail as a, and here's the lesson, you will fail as a leader if you do not curb your appetite and cultivate leanness. (laughs) Wonderful. Cultivate leanness. It's a visual tool helping you cultivate leanness. Yes, there'll be momentum. Of course, there's the momentum of change and you may get some very, very big bangs out of a pretty small gun. But you won't get everything. More than any other of the several formats in visual in the visual leadership array, the X-type teaches executives that their most important function is to say yes to the few and wait to the many. And as you learn the discipline and requirements of the X-type, and as it guides you to greater skill in deciding and driving, you will become adept at making it speak to you visually on finer and finer levels of detail and nuance. (laughs) In the era of BFFs, best friends forever, the X-Type will become yours. 
but you must allow it to. And that is another reason why I encourage you to not do this as a consensus process. This is such an intimate personal teaching tool that you as an executive must learn it and then you can help others. They, you don't, they don't have to wait for you. You can do this in parallel, in parallel, as I mentioned about the OSIT. Just say, here's a page. I want, your, I want your goals. Give me your idea of what we should be doing for the whole year and fit it into this format. You can give a simple teaching. We'll eventually have ours. It's about a three-hour course as a module, so you can teach through that. The language will be there with the examples. Or you can kind of do it on your own. So your direct reports are in parallel working on the same thing. And you let them struggle because you're struggling. You let them feel the discomfort. And I I don't like to not support loud and clear my fellow consultants, but I have to say that in doing the X-Type by consensus, you're doing consensus. You're doing something good for the organization, but you're not doing the X-Type, and you're missing its power. And chances are that that consensus will decide to turn the X-Type into a list or several of them. Don't do it. So I hope that's helpful for you. You can hear my enthusiasm, my complete um, intoxication with the X-Type and its architecture. I have found it to be glorious. You will have a simpler form of it when you get clear, when we get to the roadmap. The roadmap is a simple, friendly step down. We'll, next week, we will talk about supervisors, visual scheduling, visual displays. Then we'll talk about metrics, the second set of tools, metrics and visual problem solving. And then the third, which will be three shows from now, we'll talk about the roadmap and we'll link back to this, the X-Type, this arduous journey. But for the supervisors, it will be a way to bring everybody on board, all of his or her direct reports, all the operators and maintenance, material handlers, if we're in a factory, where everyone is nodding because they will align through the roadmap. But that's a very simplified form. It's useful. Of course it is. Let me just spend the two or three minutes I have left on the war room. The war room is the third tool for the executive. And a company has to achieve a certain maturity before it can use a war room properly. The piece in between could be an obey a room, which is a room with schedules visibly on the on the wall. And there are effective obeyas, kind of contr- control headquarters, and there are ineffective ones. Um, I'll probably do a show just on Obeya, but this is where it can fit as the precursor to the war room. But the war room is full of intent. It is the marriage of your strategy and your tactical projects. And it is testing them out to see, in fact, if you can capitalize on the weaknesses of your competitor. This is hard to do if you're... OEM uh, configuration and your supplier plant because you won't feel the threat. But there are clever ways to do that as well. Believe me, you can find the threat if there is a threat, (laughs) even as a supplier plant. We're working on this right now. It's very, very interesting and very real. Just working with a particular configuration of plants and we've, we've reached this point, but they're not ready for a war room. They'll be ready for a war room when their problem-solving is in place, and it's robust, complex problem-solving for chronic, costly problems. And what happens in the war room is that you watch those problems behave and you harness the CPK, the capability that's coming out of them in terms of strength and systems. I don't want to get too far afield because I know there are different levels of audience listening, listening audiences, but I'm hoping to seduce you by the language, even if the practical application may feel a little bit out of reach because of your current position. But the war room is driven by stacked metrics 
that respond to every positive intervention and every negative drop. So you are really watching the Petri dish for a particular outcome and you're driving it. The quality of a war room is driving. The decision has been made in the OSINT and the X-type and now you're driving. But in order to drive, you really need to know where your soldiers are. You need to know where all of them are. You need to have very, very strong reconnaissance so that you know what your competition is doing and you're going after the gap. You're going after the opportunity that you have decided is the opportunity for you to grow. The war room is a growth opportunity. Obeya is informational, and if you don't have access to information that's really dynamic, then get your Obeya. It just means data on the wall. It just means I can see my schedule. I can see my machines. I can, sh- I can see the status of my machines. I can weave them all together. It's important, and it's certainly a vital middle step, but it's not the ultimate outcome. You want to go into work every day, and as far as your competition is concerned, you want to win and you want to know it. That's the war room, the third tool. OSIT X-Type War Room. That's the executive trio. Supervisors, visual displays, visual scheduling, obey if you will, eventually, visual metrics, visual problem solving, and the roadmap. The roadmap links to your X-type. It's the friendly form. It's very, very approachable. That's what it's for. I had a wonderful time today. Um, I will tell you that I'm going to be glad when this visual leadership series is over because I know it is a strain and we'll get back to talking about operators and uh, talk about uh, more commonly commonly known visual devices. But I want this in place so that you can listen to it as a sequence and maybe not the first time, but maybe the second time the pieces will all fall together. So... I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join in and to listen. It gives me a a joy to share these things with you. And I I wish you as well a splendid journey to your destination. And I trust that workplace visuality is a part of it. So until the next time, this is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.